We're in a series, and I've been in the series for the last few weeks where we've been talking about unwrapping Christmas. And if you've got kids, you know what it's like. Do you want to just grab it and wrap it and unwrap it and see what's inside it? And one of the things as we've been going through this series is we've unwrapped Christmas as we look at some of the stories is we've seen a God who's incredibly humble. A God who is humble and then in the like way of his humility to us, we have that opportunity to give that humility to others. And what does that look like? And last week we spoke about unwrapping Christmas and we found a God who's really patient. And I found it interesting last week because I had a lot of people ask me, say, you know, that really, that was hard because as God is patient, he calls us to be patient and to wait. And my understanding is that a lot of people are in a waiting kind of place, right? No? I mean, it was just the first service. They were the ones who were waiting. And then today we're going to look at this incredible gift of the wisdom of God and the wisdom that he gives us and, and how we can turn around and also hopefully be used of God to, to give wisdom to others. So let's pray and let's just invite God into this time. Father, we ask that you would guide us in at your word, which um, as we hear from you in this time, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, my heart. We just quiet our hearts that we might hear. And you might unwrap for us through your spirit this gift of wisdom that you have brought to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I've been thinking about this whole thing, and as I think about wisdom, you know, what would it mean for us to actually be in a position where someone could guide us and direct us and where we would listen and get counsel? And, and I was thinking, what if you're here and you maybe begun a startup business? You know, maybe you have done that or you're in the midst of one and you're at a point. Sometimes you get a startup business, you're at a level where you just want to go to the next level and you could just use some help. Not necessarily financial capital, but let's just say intellectual capital. You know, someone who has the know-how. And it just so happens that you're in that process, you're thinking about it, and you come up to me at a certain point and we're talking about your business and your work and that you want to get propelled to the next level. And as you're talking, I say, wow, it just so happens my good friends Warren Buffett and Mark Cuban, um, recently I was in conversation with them, said if I knew of, of anyone who needed some startup help, just to let them know. Would you be interested? Or maybe you have a son or a daughter who loves baseball. And they, and they really like that, and they're really trying to get better at this game and this sport. And, and, and you're talking about that, and I hear it, and I go, wow. I, I, I can't believe it, um, but I just was talking to Joe Maurer the other day. You're supposed to laugh at that. That is kind of a joke. And he, and he said, if I knew of anyone who was interested in improving in their baseball skills, that he was willing to give a few hours to some kids, would you say, I'll grab at that, that ability to do that? Or what if you love country music? And I'm not sure anyone really does, but anyway... Um, <laughs> Yeah, just work with me, lighten up, because it's wonderful. But let me just say you like it and you kind of want to sing, you want to croon like those country music artists, and it just so happens that my good friend Blake Shelton called me and uh, said, you know, I'm done taping the voice, everything's ready, and I've just got a few hours, would be love to help someone in that. Would you be interested? Okay, last service, all the women went, yes, <laughs> you guys aren't being honest. What if you were hoping to get some traction next year in your marriage, maybe with your family, and you're, you're in this place, and I said, unbelievable, guess who I spoke to yesterday? Yeah, Dr. Phil. <laughs> and, 
And Dr. Phil is coming to Minnesota. He's going to be here for the next six months on Mondays. And on Mondays, he said, you know, I'd love to meet with a couple people. If you know some families that are interested, would you be interested? And you would say no, right? (laughs) And you would say no because we have this incredibly wonderful gift of counselors on staff. And it's free. And I hear story after story about how God is working through this. So forget Dr. Phil, right? But what if I told you I knew someone who is wise beyond their years, someone who is better than any instructor you've ever had, someone more knowledgeable than any life coach you could hire, someone more in tune with your life than you are, someone more capable of making helpful and productive decisions than you could ever imagine, someone more street smart than the streetest, smartest guy you know. Smartest, streetest guy, there we go. I didn't really write that in my notes, so I, you know, anyway. Someone who is brilliant, full of common sense, and has never faced a problem that he can't solve. A situation that he can't discern. A relational mess that he can't clean up. A life that he can't, he just never found one that he could rebuild. He just, everyone, he just can do it if they're open to it. Or a heart is that he just, he can mend. He's that kind of God. And I said, he's available. In fact, I said, that's what Christmas is all about. Every year, this time of year, he says, guess what? I came down, I entered into this life. In fact, Isaiah tells us that this, this place of darkness that needed light, that needed the brilliance of his wisdom and his life and his light, at one point came into this dark land and shone brightly. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Catch this. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. This God has come and desires to unwrap for you his wisdom and his guidance. He says, I've come, I'm here, I'm, I'm with you, I've entered life that you may know me, to walk with me, to learn from me, and you can consult with me on anything. You see, when you unwrap Christmas, you find God full, as we said a few weeks ago, of humility and patience. One of the things you find is a God who is incredibly bright, who's wise with understanding, and he brings that. You know, it amazes me when I think about that, because first, how many wise and really brilliant people do you know that are also full of humility? And how often do you find what I would call really intelligent people who really um, have great understanding that are also full of patience? And yet you have this God who unwraps himself at Christmas who is full of humility and patience. And today we're going to talk about his wisdom. The Apostle Paul at one point when he was writing to a group of people in a city called Colossae, hadn't met all the people there. And he said, I just want you to know that I am struggling with all the energy in me so that you might have an understanding. In fact, you may have the full riches of complete understanding. That's kind of an interesting, full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Paul, one of the most brilliant minds in the first century or so, notes the incredible wisdom of this God in a little line found in in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And in this line, he says, but when the time had fully come, you're getting a picture of the brilliance of this God. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full right of sons. And you get this picture in this little verse, and you see it all throughout Scripture, of this God who is wise, who waits and prepares and gets things ready to the point. So that God, it says, when the time had fully come, he then acted. This great wisdom of God began to plan to redeem sin-bound people the very moment they stepped into their sin. He chose to give all wisdom to help us understand that though we um, have laws and can never measure up to the law, he said he would redeem us from underneath it so that we could have life. And he knew how to do it. He was real wise. He chose a person. He, through this whole preparation, chose a person named Abraham. And Abraham had a family, and that family grew. Some 400 years later, he then chooses a leader, his name Moses, who Moses has a whole nation of people. He brings them through the wilderness and brings them to the promised land. And then from Moses comes a man named David who has a dynasty. And this dynasty has been told it will go on forever. And through this dynasty would come one. And all of this was preparation. God in his brilliant wisdom preparing for the gift to come. And then we find, as Isaiah mentions, one of the great poets and extraordinary gifted men of the ancient world, he says the incredible wisdom of God is not only in the preparation of the gift. In fact, if you go through Isaiah, you'll see that he is prophesying, talking about the time that he's going to come, the preparation, and he's getting the people ready, and yet there's so many years yet to come. But at one point, this verse that I had read just a few moments ago, he says, guess what? Not only is the preparation getting things ready incredibly brilliant of God is he incredibly wise but he also is so wise because the gift he gives us is perfect containing all the treasures of wisdom in this little bundle of a baby is the fullness of God and the fullness of wisdom and the fullness of life so that in Isaiah 9 6 he says for unto us a child is born a son is given the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called listen wonderful counselor This baby's called Wonderful. You're looking at the Wonderful Counselor. This baby's called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the one who will rule your hearts in this world with peace, the Prince of Peace. The gift is perfect. Exactly what every person, every family, every community, every nation needs. And in the gift is all the wisdom of God. And so I could give you Mark Cuban. I could give you Warren Buffett. I could give you Joe Maurer. I could give you Angela Merkel. I could give you all the big names, you know, uh, Janet Yellen, to come around you to give you some wisdom. And guess what? None of them. None of them compares to the wisdom of God who is present and available to you. So I have two basic points in this message today. Okay, they're, they're really pretty simple. And the first one is God is brilliant. You laugh at that, but you'll laugh even more at the second point. <clears throat> God is brilliant. You see, at one point, when the prophet Isaiah, he's writing and prophesying and preaching and seeking to teach the people, at one point, after he has about 39 chapters where the number of them are predictions of Christ, but then there are a number of judgments upon the people who have turned their ear and have closed their ear to the wisdom of God. These are people who said, I don't want to listen to this. I'm going to do it my own way. After that, verse chapter 40, he begins to change his tone. He talks about when God comes and when people's hearts are open to him. But one of the things they need to realize, in fact, one of the 
first things he says in chapter 40, he gives them a comparison. Because if you are truly going to know the wisdom of God and his brilliance, you have to have a sense of the distance. Because if you think you're anything close to his wisdom, you're not going to want his wisdom. So at one point, he, he, he basically starts saying in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 17, let me give you a picture of this all-expansive, incredibly incomprehensible being we call God, who is so huge in his wisdom and understanding. And he says, who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands? Gets his picture. Or measured the sky between his thumb and his little finger. Do that for a second. Just hold up your hand and, and think about how much in the sky you get in that little place, right? Some of you may be a little more than others. But none of us think about God who has measured the sky between his thumb and his little finger, who has put all the earth's dirt in one of his baskets and weighed each mountain and hill. Now he starts talking about the brilliance of God. Who could ever have told God what to do or taught him his business? He didn't need any startup help. What expert would, have, would he have gone to for advice? What school would he attend to learn justice? Like Harvard Law or Yale? What God, you suppose, might have taught him what he knows, showed him how things work? Maybe MIT or Stanford? No. Why the nations are but a drop in the bucket. Catch this, a mere smudge on the window. Watch him sweep up the islands. Think of all these islands throughout the world. He says, watch him sweep up the islands like so much dust off the floor. And there aren't enough trees in Lebanon. Lebanon was the forest of their world, in a sense. It was where all the trees, where they got all the stuff. He said, there aren't enough trees in Lebanon, nor enough animals in those vast forests to furnish adequate fuel and offerings for his worship. All the nations add up to simply nothing before him. Less than nothing is more like it, he says. And then he ends, a minus. Think about it. You just add it all up and it keeps adding up and you go, it doesn't even, doesn't even add up, doesn't get up to zero. It is a minus in comparison to the greatness of God. And that's the God who is brilliant beyond what you could believe. And so as I was thinking about this message and I was considering it, I was thinking of, um, there was a, a guy who one point was trying to share with us in, our, in, a, in a kind of a setting where we were about eight or so of us who were learning from this very learned guy. And he said, let me just share with you the distance between God's wisdom and yours. He said, I want you to imagine like um, the smallest little thing you can think of that maybe is a single cell, maybe amoeba, kind of like that. And, and just think about how smart it is. Or, or he goes, in fact, look at the floor. And he had a shag carpeting, so this really worked. He said, think of a dust mite. Yeah. See that? Do you know that dust mites are nearly everywhere as you start to itch? Um, Roughly four out of five homes in the United States have detectable levels of dust mite allergen in at least one bed. So when you go to your family's home for Christmas, <clears throat> these are microscopic, you can hardly see. Researchers suggest there can be a nation of them in one's carpet. Think of that next time you lay down on the floor. And he said, just think of the distance. You are surrounded, in a sense, by, by amoebas or this a nation of dust mites, and you stand there, and your intelligence, hopefully, is vastly different than those. And basically, that's what Isaiah is saying. The distance of intelligence is staggering if you think of us, which it doesn't even compare to the distance between God and an amoebic-sized man 
or a dust mite sized nation. God is brilliant. I was thinking about it. If you think of God's brilliance, and I was thinking, well, what, what, about, what would be on his resume? Okay, you know, you're thinking about, yeah, I'd like to bring this guy to be a consultant, maybe to coach me a little bit. Maybe he's, you know, what would be on his resume? And I mean, we could list all kinds of things. I'm just going to list two things. One is God is really good at creating. Could you see that on the line? Really, what are you really good at creating? Oh, that'd be a pretty brilliant thing. But the most creative, think about it, the most creative artistic being ever to live and live and live and live is God. Genesis 1. It starts out with this on his resume. He could just say, well, just look at Genesis 1. Um, The message writes it this way. God created the heavens and earth, all you see and all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. And God said, here's the creator, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be sky. Let the dry ground appear. Let the land produce vegetation. Let there be lights in the sky to mark seasons and days and years. Let the waters teem with life and the sky with flying birds. Let the land produce living creatures. And God's just having a great time creating all this. And then at one point he finally goes, And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This kind of amoebic-sized person in the presence of God who is brilliant. And I was thinking about how brilliant he is, and I was thinking about his creative power, and I thought, isn't it interesting that when we think of creative people, we think of people who have patents, right? Who who would you think has the most patents? Known as being one of the most inventive people. Thomas Edison. One of the world's most um, prolific inventors with over 1,093 U.S. patents. Shows his brilliance and creativity. 1,084 are utility patents, nine are design patents. A little harder to get a design patent. Until recently, though, he was surpassed by a Japanese inventor named Shunpei Yamazaki. And guess how many patents he has? 4,247. And then Yamazaki was just recently passed by Australia's Kia Silverbrook who has 4,729 patents. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I don't have one. How many here have a patent? Raise your hand. Yeah, a couple of you do. 1,000 of them? No. And I thought to myself, God is so creative that he broke those records. I mean, they were nothing when you think of his creation. Just think of this, the creation of a butterfly. Scientists believe there are over 12,000 to 15,000 butterflies and they're continuing to discover more. Talk about a design patent. That's just the butterfly. That's not all the other insects, insects in the world beyond everything else that he's created. This God is incredibly brilliant and creative. And I was thinking about the creative power of God if he unleashed it in your life. And I thought, what if he unleashed it in us in a, as a church? And one of the things that we've been talking about is we want to come into January. And as we begin the month of January as a church, we're calling on all people to say, God, we are going to seek you. We want you to be a part of our first step. We want you to create within us the things you want to create. And as I've been praying about this and thinking about it, and I've been asking you to think about what would your part be as we step into January, I was thinking, here's the great creator. 
What if we said, God, we desire for you to create in us and through us whatever you will for your glory. Put a patent on us in the way that we love this world. We don't know how you want to do that, but we do know that as you do through your son and through your word, you'll guide us and lead us. What if we did that? And I've been praying and saying, God, open us up to new and fresh ways, uh, creative ways to reveal your love to others. What if we began to pray as we went into the new year and we said, God, create in us clean hearts with holy, love-filled imaginations, coupled with a voracious appetite to bring Jesus glory. Would you pray that? Would you join us and pray that? This is our brilliant God. You know, and then the other thing I thought, you know, I'm just going to put two things on his resume because you could just get so many. God is not only really good at creating, but the next little thing would be good at recreating. Seriously, he's brilliant. He knows how to recreate, rebuild, restore, rework, re-engineer, refine, refinish, re-anything, anything. I was just thinking of rewords. And this is exactly one place where God's brilliance is most clearly seen. He took creation, messed up and marred by sin. It was heading south. Our lives were heading south. And instead of tossing it aside, which he could have done, it just started over because he's so creative. God begins a process of recreating through the birth of his son. That's what we're talking about. He's prepared. He goes, at one point, you know what? It's going this direction. I will step into history. I will, at Christmas, which we celebrate, come down in my son, and I'll take the steering wheel in the lives of anybody who's willing to be guided by me, in the lives of any family, any group of people, I will take the steering wheel, in fact, of this nation, of this world, of this universe, and I will begin to guide it in the direction I had always intended to be because I am a God who is creatively brilliant, but I am also a God who is recreatively brilliant. Recreative. Knows how to do that. And Christmas is the turning point of his invasion where he took the wheel of this vehicle and he began to steer it towards his ultimate initial purpose and he can do it in yours because nothing in your life, folks, nothing in your life, if you're here and you're in this place, nothing in your life is such a mess that God can't redeem it. Yeah, praise God. No relationship is so far God that God can't rebuild it. No person is so lost that God can't redirect their life. I don't know where you're at, but no work is so trash that God can't restore it. He is not only creatively brilliant, he knows how to recreate anyone who is open to his wisdom and his power. God's brilliant. That's the point. God is brilliant. And he knows exactly how to rescue each person from whatever has trapped them. For when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those trapped and tired of measuring up to a law they could never through their own goodness measure up to. And he set us free by his death and his resurrection. God is brilliant. He knows exactly how to meet us right where we are at. That's the story of Christmas. God becoming a man, entering our world, taking on our sin, suffering on our behalf, experiencing our loneliness, our pain, our rejection. God coming into all that. That's amazing. Think about it. God's brilliant. The creator who recreates and rebuilds and restores and gives do-overs and forgives and identifies with us in our own skin, walks in our own shoes, is tempted in every way just like us, entered history so that he could come into your life and begin to direct and guide and help you and me through anything in life. I, uh, 
received this story from someone in our church, and I like it when you kind of share with me things that uh, touch you because you never know. They may touch a whole lot of people. And this story was given to me about a pastor. His name was Henry Carter. And, and this pastor pastored a church, and next to the church was a home for emotionally disturbed children that the church had started and that he was overseeing. And so he lived in that home with these kids. It's this wonderful story that illustrates God's brilliant wisdom as he humbly lowers himself and patiently waits and then kindness causes us to turn to him. And so he writes, Henry Carter writes at one time, he said, I was working feverishly on my Christmas sermon. The hardest time in any minister's year to find something fresh to say. And I go, yeah, I get that. He says, working feverishly on that, when the floor mother appeared at the study door, another crisis upstairs. He writes, you know, Christmas Eve is a difficult day for an emotionally disturbed children in our church home. Three quarters of them go home at least overnight. And the ones who remain react to the empty beds and the change of routine. It just throws everything off. And things are really difficult for those few that remain. So I followed her upstairs and was chafing inwardly at the repeated interruptions I'd had throughout the day. And now one more. And this time it was Tommy. Tommy had crawled under a bed and refused to come out. And the woman pointed to one of the six cots in the small dormitory, showed me where it was, and there was not a hair nor any toes showing beneath it. So I addressed the cowboys and the bucking broncos on top of the bedspread. I said, I talked to them. I talked about the brightly lighted tree in the church, the next door, the packages that were underneath it as well, and all the other good things waiting for him to come out from underneath the bed. And I waited, and there was no answer. It was just still, it was quiet. Still fretting at the time, it was costing me, because he was saying, you know, I need to get this message done. So he's, he dropped down to his knees, and he lifted up the bedspread. Two enormous eyes met mine, he says. Tommy was eight, but he looked like a little five-year-old under there, cowering underneath that bed. He said, you know, I looked under, you can see, he said, it'd been no effort for me to, you know, kind of reach under there and just pull him out. You know how you kind of just, let's get go with this thing. I just said, no problem just to pull him out. But he writes, it wasn't pulling out that Tommy needed. It was trust and a sense of deciding things on his own initiative. So I'm processing, he says, and I decided I couched there, I, I crouched there on all fours. And as I'm on there on all fours looking at these two big blue eyes, I'm talking to him about the special Christmas Eve supper we're going to have and trying to entice him with that. I told him about the stocking with his name on it that the Women's Missionary Society had given and that he'd be getting that. You need to come out for that. And Silence. On my knees, on the floor, and there was no indication that he either heard me or cared one bit about Christmas. And so at last, because I could think of no other way to make contact, I laid down on my stomach and wriggled in beside him. Bed springs um, snagging my suit as I was getting next to him. And what, for what seemed like a long time, I just lay there, cheek pressed to the floor. You, just, you get the picture of this guy? He's, he cheek pressed to the floor. At first, I talked about the big wreath above the altar and the candles and the window. I'm trying to think of things that I hadn't talked about, and I reminded them of the, a carol that he and the other children were going to be singing. And then I ran out of things to say and simply just waited there beside him, cheek to the floor. And as I waited, 
a small, chilled hand moved towards mine and crept into the hollow of my hand. You know, Tommy, I said after a bit, it's kind of close quarters down under here. Let's you and me go out where we can stand up. And so we did, slowly, in no hurry. And all the pressures had gone from my day at that moment because, as he writes, you see, I had my Christmas sermon. Flattened there on the floor, cheek to the floor, I realized I had been given a new glimpse of the mystery of this season. Hadn't God called us too, as I'd called Tommy from far above? With his creative brilliance, the stars and the mountains and all the majestic creation, hadn't he pleaded with us to love him as we would look at that and enjoy our universe and he would call out to us? And we were silent. And when we would not listen, he had drawn closer and through the prophets and lawgivers and holy men which he sent to us, he spoke to us face to face. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until the first Christmas, until God stooped to earth itself, put his cheek to the ground, so to speak, took our very place and came to dwell with us in our loneliness and alienation that we, like Tommy, dared to stretch out our hands to take hold of his love. That's our God. He's just brilliant. He doesn't come in and try and yank you out and pull you out. He just woos you by the Spirit of God. He comes in his Son. He makes himself known. He walks on this earth and and he shares um, all about his God through Jesus. We see it in his life and his death. He takes on all that and he, he calls us to reach out to him. Now, if the first point is that God is brilliant, then the second point is simply, we're not. Right? I I really don't want to offend you by telling you that as bright as you think you are and as clever as you think you are, whatever you think about your life, trying to run it or the things in front of you, you're just not bright enough. No one is smart enough here in this room to run their own life. It wasn't intended to be that way. So God is brilliant and we're not. And I was thinking about it. You know, check our resume. You know, you ever, ever thought about that? You know, if you were to come here and now you're kind of here. So we've looked at God. We've looked at how brilliant he is. We've looked at his resume. We've looked at what he did you know, and how he's come to us and all that. And he's got his cheek to the floor, his hands reaching out to you. And, and so God is brilliant and we're not. So what's your resume like? Uh, not the one, you know, anybody who does work in HR understands you can really doctor a resume, right? Anybody work there? You know, you, you even are given ideas and, and training on how to look through the things that aren't right. So let's just check our resume. I'm just going to go through it as if we're in an interview, okay? And I, I'm going to just ask you some questions, and you can choose to nod if you want. Have you ever gotten lost? Have you blown it before? Done something wrong? Screwed up on a project? Have you ever done something stupid? Now, I was thinking, I, I was, I had a whole bunch of things came to mind when that came up for me. Now, I don't know, that may not be for you. One of them came up was when I was in my senior year in, 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 in college. We were a day away from graduating. You know, everything had been done, and we were just going to stay overnight. Eight guys in a, in, in a house, and, and, and we were kind of thinking, let's do a prank. And we were trying to think of what would be a good prank to do. And I have to share it. One of the guys is, is a well-known author and, and pastor, John Ortberg, and he came up with this idea. 
This is honest truth, and I hope John will listen to this, because he came up with this idea about stealing the portraits of the presidents in the president's room. And I'm thinking, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm, you know, my dad was a president of a school, and I knew what those things cost, and I knew that you know, we wouldn't be graduating if, if they caught us doing that. I can imagine us taking, oh, ripped one. And so that was a stupid idea. We talked about that one, but we had another idea, and it was a little smarter. They had just that day, the president was walking around, and they had just put up signs in front of all the buildings. They put them in the ground, and then they screwed them in that said the name of the building. And we said, why don't we go around, middle of the night, we'll go, and it's dark, and we'll change all the signs so they're at the wrong building. Yeah, a stupid idea. So it's really a stupid idea because we did it, and we got almost done with it, but two of the guys, not too fleet of foot, not me, but two of the guys got caught, and we're in our house looking at them as the, as the security guys are running after them, and they catch them, and, and then they make them change all the signs back, so by 6 o'clock, all the signs were back. Have you ever done a stupid thing in your life? That wasn't brilliant. Have you ever failed a test? Have you ever wondered how to connect to your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Have you ever been stumped at what to buy someone for Christmas? Anybody? Have you ever wondered how to discipline your child? Have you ever been confused on how to care for your aging parents? Have you ever been baffled by your boss? Have you ever lay awake at night wondering how to motivate an employee? Have you ever struggled to understand a homework assignment? And maybe even your seven-year-old's homework assignment. Have you ever been uncertain how to deal with an illness? Have you ever wondered what love looks like and feels like to someone you really care about? Have you ever tried to understand another person's motives? Have you ever guessed wrong as to why someone did what they did? Have you ever felt overwhelmed at the decision and what the best course of action would be? Have you ever been confused by anything I've ever said? But if you've answered those things, guess what? God isn't. God hasn't. God never will. Not once, ever, never has God been stumped, confused, overwhelmed, failed, done wrong, judged wrong, or thought a wrong thought. God is brilliant. And we're not. Exactly. This brilliant God is fully capable before every question ever asked him, fully aware of every situation before him, fully understands every motive in every heart. God's never surprised. He's never unsure of what to do, when to do it, or why to do it. He's never in the dark, never left wondering why, never needing advice, doesn't need a consult or consultant or a coach. God's never confused. He's never lacking the intellectual horsepower necessary for any problem. He's never feels stupid. He's never felt inadequate. He's never felt incapable to deal with any situation or circumstance brought before him. He's not you. Praise God, he's not me. And thank God he's not one of the 20-some candidates running for president. As Isaiah says many times over, in fact, you can go through the book of Isaiah. I encourage you to read that book sometimes, especially chapter 40 on. And just, I'm just going to share with you, these lines come up again and again. This is what the Lord says. He who has made you and who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, your holy one, your creator, your king. Is there any God besides me? No one, there is no one, not, not, not one. I know not one. I am he, and I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will uphold you, and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me, or count me equal? To whom will you liken me, that we may be even compared? I am your God. I am your God who is brilliant, and you're what? Not. And praise God that he is brilliant 
and humble and patient because he is willing to extend his wisdom to anyone. And Christmas is about this God becoming a man, living among us, calling us to follow him so that we can take his lead. And as we get to know his word and understand what his word has to say, it is like a light unto our feet and a lamp into the direction of where we're to go. This God will use his word. He'll use others who are godly as well. And he will place them around you. And this God will speak to your life and he will guide you and direct you and he will come to you. And it's free for anyone. Anyone can receive it. He gives wisdom to anyone. Jeremiah 33 says, 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. His wisdom is free. He doesn't charge you for it. He doesn't say, you know, I'll give you a couple days maybe next week and maybe I can fit you in my schedule. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, I love this, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. If you lack wisdom at all, anyone, he says, and you see that when you look at Jesus, all the people who came around him, they were the, it was the smart ones who thought they were pretty smart that stood outside it. It was the ones who were ill and weak and vulnerable, and they were the ones who, who were religiously the ones that weren't measuring up, and they were the ones that just didn't have their act together. They were the ones who needed help. Those were the ones who were at the feet of Jesus, and the Word of God says anyone can receive it, and he will give it freely. He just doles it out. Ah, that's a little too much. You don't need any more. And he doesn't even find fault with you. You come to him and say, you know, I, God, I, I, we stole some president's signs. And he goes, I'm not talking to you. God, I, I, I blew it again. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any wisdom. He doesn't find fault. This God gives wisdom to anyone freely, and, and he gives it to those, catch this, who humbly seek him. Basically, just say, I, I, I want that. Psalm 25, 9, if you want to just memorize a psalm. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Yet you have to be willing to seek him. You have to be willing to let him be your life leader. You know, I think it's interesting. God doesn't just want to come in and bail you out of a situation, but he wants to get you out of the kind of things that keep getting you into those situations. And he does it as you seek him and follow him. Because what he wants to get at is not just the symptom, but down to the cause. He wants to move into our character. He wants to teach us and lead us so that we become like him because he is brilliant and we're not. I'm going to ask Joel if he would come and we're going to just spend some time because we don't get a lot of quiet in this season, do we? <laughs> in this time of year, we're just rushing around and, and I just want, I mean, we're done early, right? We could go, but I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> oh, the power I wish I had. Anyway, um, we're going to just take some time and just quiet our hearts. And if, if you've never asked Jesus into your life and said, Jesus, I, I've blown it, I've, I've sinned, I've done wrong, I recognize and I realize that. Here's an opportunity in this just to say, Jesus, would you come into my life, forgive me, and, and become my life leader and guide me. Because he's brilliant, and you're not. And he wants to come and give you his wisdom. Some of you have made that decision and, and you've been riding on that decision for years and God is saying, no, I really want to walk with you right now. 
And over time, you've become proud and you kind of got it. And you, know, and, and you might be at a place right now where maybe the circumstances of life itself have brought you to your knees. And God wants to come and give you wisdom right now. He wants you to just say, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to follow you. And as I do so, I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me. And it may not be in your timing. That's the hardest thing for me. That's why that patient waiting thing was such a bummer last week, isn't it? You know, wait. But will you wait on his wisdom? Will you lean on him and not on your own understanding? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Whatever comes up in your heart, if it's a condemning voice, it's not God. God doesn't condemn. He just points it out in a loving way. And if it is a sin, if there's something that in your own wisdom you're doing and God is saying, you've got to stop that. got to start seeking me. If you've been running your life on your own, you didn't even realize that God loves you the way he does, that he came as a baby in order that you might know his presence in your life through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is here. There is nothing in your life so messed up. There is nothing that he cannot deal with. There is, there is no sin so great that he can't forgive. He is here and just invite him in the grace of God. We talk about everyone's welcome and nobody's perfect. We get that. But anything's possible if you invite God in. Spirit of the God, uh, the Holy God, hover over us right now. We invite you to do whatever work you want to do. You may need to quiet your mind and just... The wisdom for you is to grab hold of the peace of God that is available right now. Not because you feel it, but because he says he has control of your life. This season is so rushed. Jesus, thank you for the moments here. For the quiet. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. Jesus, we are so grateful for how brilliant you are that you would that you would put your cheek to the floor of this earth and call to us. And right now I know you're calling to hearts. Thank you. Meet them right where they're at. And may we in this quiet, peaceful moment hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give you this Christmas, these few days ahead of us. And we invite you and your brilliance into our lives that we might allow for the wisdom of God to shine through us as we put our cheek to the floor in certain places and just give kindness or patience or love to someone. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.